Hi friends, thanks for tuning in to this latest episode of Love Service Wisdom coming to you from Maui. I'm here for the Ram Dass retreat that's going on. Had a beautiful session with Ram Dass and friends this morning. A really cool lecture with the uh, author and thinker, Robert Svoboda, and just thoroughly enjoying my time here with my partner, Krishna. He's got a performance this coming Saturday. Today's what? December 5th? Um, Yeah, performance here for the Sangha with his work with his album, East Forest Ramdas. So it's been pretty special. Always love returning and seeing old friends and meeting new members of this beautiful collective. And being out of town, it's a little hard to get some podcasts up, but I had the um, synchronistic pleasure of my good friend, Chris Gethin, from, you might remember from one of my first podcasts that I published, a conversation with him. He's a hybrid athlete, an amazing sweetheart, and one of the smartest, kindest people I know. And I was on his podcast back in, I think, September of 2019, his podcast, The Knowledge and Mileage Podcast. And this conversation that I recorded with him he just put out. And so I'm taking that podcast and republishing it here on my platform for you all to listen to that might not have seen it through his. And I think you'll enjoy it. It's kind of fun to have the tables flipped a little bit and somebody be focusing the conversation more on me. So you might get a little bit more um, Q&A from me uh, than you might in other podcasts. And I thank Chris for sharing it for sure so that I can repost it for all of you. If you want to check out more about Chris and the work that he does, you can go to chrisgethin.com. That's Chris with a K, K K-R-I-S-G-E-T-H-I-N.com. And this is from his show, The Knowledge and Mileage Podcast. Enjoy. For all of y'all listening, sounds really cool down here today in Boise because we're in the studio and opposite me is Marissa, who is the owner of Sage Yoga here in Boise, soon to have a meditation business as well. What what, what, what do you call that? Will it be called Sage as well? No, it's going to be its own separate entity. So I have Sage Yoga and Wellness and then right next door will be Source Meditation Space. Source meditation space. When's that going to be opening? I'm shooting for early November. Oh, so a year. couple months. Nice. Yeah, soon. Great. Like looking a month f- and a half. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to have you down here to have a bit of a chin wag today. <laughs> I love your British lingo. Yeah, I got lots of it. I try to. I try to relinquish myself from talking too much in that lingo because people have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I usually just get uh, confused faces and expressions. But um, obviously, you've been practicing yoga for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've come and done some of your classes and some of your teachers' classes as well. And now you've got meditation. Mm -hmm. Breathwork is a part of it as well. Yes. And uh, of course, within bodybuilding and sports performance, it's good to have that hormetic response where you have a stress 
and that stress comes from exercise mm -hmm. and uh, you know that's always a good thing have that inflammatory response as long as it doesn't become systemic right if it goes up it must come down and uh, when we, when it's that's but it's systemic that's when it become a, pr a problem and I've noticed within myself, within a lot of high-performing athletes as well, they can go up, but it's hard to bring themselves back down. They're usually anxious, they're on edge, they're not taking deep breaths or sighing like you are now, <laughs> because that is a response to say, oh, I need to relax. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned a bit from uh, Lyd Hamilton when I was at his, uh, at his house last week, where he talks about the importance of breath work because a lot of the training that he does with his XPT is underwater. So mm -hmm. it's very important to know how to breathe and regulate your breathing properly for exercise and to bring down that, the, your cortisol levels yes. and relax because if you don't recover, you don't perform. So that's one thing that, that I'd really uh, like to talk to you about today. But let's talk about your humble beginnings. <laughs> you know, what what, uh, what what were your beginnings look like and how did you stumble across, um, you know, what you're doing today? Gosh, I came from very humble beginnings for sure. Uh, grew up in Florida, Daytona Beach, and uh, in a family where I was on my own, let's just say. And I had seven brothers and sisters. I was in the middle of them and uh, didn't have much oversight or parenting as we grew up on the beach side in Daytona in the 80s and 90s and had to, because of that, uh, f like find my own path and um, fortunately did really well in school. And so that was always easy. And then I... I think I described to you when you were on my podcast. Maybe I didn't though, but my spiritual journey began when I took LSD. So it's like an accidental awakening when I was 15. I knew I intentionally took, took LSD, but I didn't know what the effect of it was going to be. So that was kind of the accident. Like, oh my gosh, whoa, wow, oops. Okay, now we're in this for like eight hours. And it was so intense and incredibly difficult. But when I came through it on the other side, it left me absolutely changed because... I had a whole different experience of the nature of reality and consciousness, and I wanted to understand what that was. And so from that point on, that's what I pursued. And I found yoga uh, through my own studies in that way. Probably it was like 99 or 2000 and started a home practice through this book called Richard Hillman's 28-Day Exercise Plan. And I came to yoga from like I said, this aspect of spirituality and the nature of reality, not from, I think, where most people come to it as like a physical practice, right? Like I know that it helps me to get flexible or I know it helps me to relax or I know it has these uh, physiological benefits. That wasn't my take on it. I was actually somebody who was quite disconnected from their body where I had tried things like, you know, organized sports when I was in high school or whatever and was always like the bench warmer. The worst like swim team I would be in the pool and think like why am I in the pool and there's this form of exertion like where's the floaty like I want to just <laughs> lounge around things like that so I didn't have a physical I wasn't embodied let's say and so then when I found yoga it started to connect me to my body and I was somebody too that wasn't flexible at all either I'd never even been able to fold over and touch my toes 
in my entire life. So I started with zero flexibility and zero body sense. And then through this home practice, it was just 15 minutes each day, I was seeing really clearly how my body was changing, how I was getting more flexible pretty quickly, and how I was feeling my body myself and my body for what felt like the first time. And then I was witnessing too how it was changing my mental state and my mood and my habits and behaviors that I naturally started to make different food choices. And, you know, as like a college kid, I was, you know, a casual smoker when I would drink and things like that. And I realized one day it was like, oh, you haven't been smoking. And I thought to myself, like, I like smoking. I want to smoke a cigarette. And so I tried to do that and I couldn't do it anymore. And I haven't smoked since then. So it wasn't like a habit I was trying to break. It was just something that naturally fell away. And the only thing I could look at, and I know you do this too, like you're kind of like a scientist. If I do this to my body, it's having this result. And I wasn't measuring anything, but I was seeing qualitatively how much was shifting without effort actually. And so um, that was really fascinating to me because I was going to school for my degree in psychology and I could see how yoga... The yoga practice was also the psychological discipline, which it wasn't something I was expecting or I'd heard of before. Now it's a lot more well known, um, but it really excited me. So I knew that as you know, my career, let's say, I had a vision of like I could use yoga as a pathway to self development and becoming the best, most highest performing person possible. More like a psychological who am I as a human being level versus just body level. Though I was really excited about how it was getting me in touch with my own body. So then I did my yoga teacher training in 2002 in Nosara, Costa Rica. And I was surprised too when I took the training to see how even at this immersion in this yoga teacher training school, the they were teaching us about yoga poses, obviously, and breath work and things like that. But really it felt like a master's degree or a PhD in how to become the most self-aware human possible, which was exactly what I was looking for. So that was that's where my yoga teaching comes from, from that place. And so I know when we talk, you have more of like the science background behind the body and what's going on in the body and why it all works and how. And for me, it's more of like a experiential sense of how I know it feels. And it's like, I don't actually know what's going on scientifically, let's say, but I know how I feel when I do these practices and when I breathe a certain way and when I'm committed to my sadhana, whatever that practice might be. And definitely began with humble beginnings where I did my training in Costa Rica and then I went to rural Montana. I don't know if you know where Dillon, Montana is or Ennis, Montana. It's like Southwest Montana, near Bozeman, okay, but towards Idaho, basically the middle of nowhere. So I moved out there in 2003 when I was pregnant with my daughter, Maya, who's 16 now. And it was basically just ranchers and farmers. And that's about it. And my trade was yoga teacher. So, <laughs> and they hadn't had yoga yet. There was like no yoga even in Montana at that time. It seemed anyways, I, could, I hadn't found any of it anywhere. And so I started teaching in like the basement of the Episcopal church and the third grade classroom when school was over and a restaurant that was closed in the middle of the afternoon and the community center and this other little town. So I was bopping around this valley to all these like vacant spots that I could get. And slowly students were coming, but it seemed like they were kind of sending in like 
the sentinels like see what's going on with this yoga thing and then the ladies would come back and be like i think it's okay i think you can do it and so slowly a, a following of like the rancher wives would come and then my mom and i my parents were out there in Montana. She got inspired to become a yoga teacher also. So she went to do her training and she came back. And then we opened a studio together in Twin Bridges, Montana. And the our um, landlord was a Jehovah's Witness. And he actually kicked us out after about six months because he said that we were practicing uh, Hinduism, the religion of Hinduism. Like He didn't understand how yoga was not a form of religion, that it's actually quite non-denominational and that it works on your body. We all have bodies. Our bodies aren't associated with a religion or a denomination, right? They're us. They're the human form. And that's what yoga is, is a practice on the physical nervous system. So he kicked us out. He said, we, you can't be here. So we got kicked out of our first yoga studio. He, al he also said that we were practicing out-of-body experiences, which I kind of loved because it was like, actually, it's an in-the-body experience, which he didn't quite get at the time. And so then she and I opened a studio... Uh, in her barn, we turned like the seven outside horse stalls into a yoga studio. And so she still runs that today. That was, gosh, how long ago was that? 15 years ago? And she still has yoga classes in mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time, I was a waitress at a hotel, or a, it was called the Old Hotel, but it was a restaurant. I was a waitress at a restaurant. I was teaching at the university. I was an executive assistant at the hospital and I was going back to school for my graduate degree in transpersonal psychology. And I was a single mom and I was running this yoga studio. So I was doing all those things at the same time. Luckily I didn't have a boyfriend at the time really because then I could focus on all that kind of stuff. And then um, when I moved out here to Boise in 2009, Again, yoga is my trade. And so I wasn't sure at that time if I was maybe going to go back to school or lean more into like the counseling from the like straight on perspective, like, you know, that we're doing counseling or in yoga, you don't really or people don't know necessarily when they come to yoga that it is such a personally transformative practice. It's kind of like the secret back door into uh, transforming your life. But I decided to stick with just teaching yoga. And uh, open Sage in 2010. So what was that, like nine years ago now? Yeah. And like I was in Montana, I've always been kind of a jack of all trades, and I love to do all kinds of different things. So at the same time, I was a DJ at Radio Boise, the community local radio station, and had a weekly show there that I just ended so I could start my own podcast. And then DJing also like final records and out at nightclubs. DJ Shocker Khan was my pseudonym and wrote a yoga book and have yoga videos and have yoga workshops and do yoga retreats and sort of the full on yoga life has evolved for me, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah, like I, I follow you on Instagram and I just see you obviously traveling a lot mm -hmm. in awesome, awesome places, destinations. And you have uh, these retreats that you put on several times a year. Is it two or three times a year that you put these on? Yeah, different kinds. One where another side interest I have is in like my daughter, Maya. She's named from my fascination with the Mayan Indians and the, all the indigenous cultures in Mexico. I spent a lot of time through my 20s and 30s traveling there. And so I go to this site called Teotihuacan outside Mexico City. And we do a retreat that's based on the work of Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements. 
and we take people through the sites of Teo, the different citadels and plazas and temples and pyramids, and basically do transformative shamanic work on limiting belief systems and helping people transform those through the use of the site. As Don Miguel says, the Toltecs originally designed the site to be. The name Teotihuacan translates to the place where man becomes God. And so they think of it as this, as that, as a possibility and kind of like a spiritual university in a sense, even though that was thousands of years ago, that energy can still be tapped into. So that's one retreat that I do. And then I've recently started to go to Esalen, which in the United States is sort of, I want to say, one of the like first ever retreat centers. It was created in the 60s. It just had its 50th anniversary. So somewhere in the um, 60s, right at the like beginning of the human potential movement. So thinkers like Alan Watts and Aldous Huxley and early Ram Dass and um, who else? Stan Groff, who's like a founder of one of the breathwork practices, uh, created this site on a strip of land in Big Sur, right on the Pacific Ocean, that has natural hot springs. And so I've just started teaching there, which is kind of like a lifelong sort of goal, dream to be told that I have faculty at Esalen. It excites me so much with my partner, East Forrest, who's a musician. So he and I do those together. And then he and I lead a retreat in Boulder, Utah, not to be confused with Boulder, Colorado, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Uh, And this is our fourth one we've got coming up at the end of this month that we lead there. And that's just a weekend retreat. That's a weekend retreat. And that is yoga specific, but mine... It's more, it's, I would say less (laughs) yoga specific. I offer yoga in the mornings and meditations in the morning, but really when we're there, we love to get out into the land and uh, disconnect and immerse ourselves in nature and have that be the, the biggest healing components of the whole retreat. The land there in Utah, it's part of the Escalante Grand Staircase National Monument, one of those big monuments in Utah that Trump just like slashed like 80% of. Um, and it's near Escalante and Capitol Reef and Moab and Zions, that area. And the town of Boulder a fun fact about it is this was the last town in the United States to receive a post office. So that gives the idea of like, wow, it's really remote and not a lot of people are there. And so it's still that way today. So like the human traffic, you know, of like a city or the frequency or the energy of a place that we humans tromp on a lot can be quite become quite tense. And so it feels like there the land is still so rarefied and raw and pure. And um, just super high vibe. It's great. That's great. So when you're there and you're like, uh, quote unquote, disconnecting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some people will say that, that that's connecting for them. Yeah. Uh, when you're disconnecting, you're, you're not using computer, phone, any digital devices. You're grounding yourself. What's that look like? Yeah, we would recommend that. Of course, it's not a hard and fast rule, but we recommend a digital detox in yeah. that way, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Right. To connect. Exactly. To reconnect. Yeah. To reconnect. Again, I was having this conversation with Laird last week and, uh, you know, he spends so much time in the nature. He doesn't like being in the city. He went to New York for a while and he just found himself in Central Park mm-hmm. the entire time. And he just says he's connected 
when he's in nature. He's disconnected when he's in the city yeah. and surrounded by uh, exactly. the device and people. And for a lot of folks, too, you don't quite realize the effect that that's having on your nervous system, like how that's creating to that stressed feeling, how that, that heightened feeling, until then you begin to unwind. And slowly, usually even the unwinding process can at first be agitating and that might be why some For people sure. don't like it because you start to like maybe sit in meditation or enter shavasana or just go for a walk in nature and because things are slowing down and getting a bit quieter what happens at first is like an amplification of your thoughts and feelings because some of the things that were like just below the surface and needing to bubble up they all bubble up and so then you can kind of think like oh no I, I'm not doing this right or this is too much for me or I'm overwhelmed. But if you like make it through that moment of when things are getting heightened and louder internally, then they begin to release and settle down and you can find quiet through that. But at first it can feel unsettling. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people don't actually stick to a practice of whether it be breathwork, yoga, meditation, anything like that, because they feel that overwhelming sense of anxiety and mm -hmm. think, this is not for me. Yeah. I, I, I went to Africa a few years ago, and I don't know if I mentioned this on your podcast, but I went there after a year of really hard work, and I'd always wanted to go to Africa, and I thought, I cannot wait to go and do nothing. I completely changed my itinerary within three days because I was supposed to spend more days in the national parks. And after I saw a couple of giraffes, I was like, that is enough. I can't see another <laughs> giraffe or lion or anything like that. What was that about? Um, well, because of the anxiety, you mean? Mm -hmm. It was like because, because I'd gone from everything. Like, had I'd thought it through probably, or properly, I probably would have, because I had to go via the UK, I probably would have stayed in the UK for about a week first and just mm -hmm. detuned a little bit mm -hmm. before going to complete nothingness. You know, because I was supposed to camp for five days in this national park, then go to this national park and go to this resort. And I stayed in hostels. And uh, I just had to then change to jumping off Victoria Falls on a bungee jump, going up in a microlight, handling crocodiles. I needed that adrenaline fix. Yeah. It was just overwhelming. It was too much for me. So I recognize that. And uh, I understand why people can't meditate because they haven't given themselves the consistency and the persistence to get through this overwhelming distraction that we are covered in, mm -hmm. phone calls, conversations, um, you know, meetings and just, you know, excess anxiety and scrolling through Instagram to nothing. Yeah. You know, people don't know how to handle it. Yeah. And often, too, it's true when you sit down to start to meditate, let's say you do get that like, oh, yeah, that thing that you forgot about. You're, suddenly you remember again, gets revealed, and then you can get anxious about that or hooked in like, I don't want to forget that I have to do this that I had forgotten about. So one key with that is just have like a notepad next to you and write down when they come to the to come to surface because then you can let it go. Like, oh yeah, I won't forget that thing now. I wrote it down. Or I'll tell myself a trick is because part of the meditation process too is your mind doesn't actually want to be trained. And so it throws everything at you that it's going to think will get you hooked and get you out of the meditation, whether that's an anxiety or a worry or even something like a sexual fantasy or something that you can get really angry about or something you might get really sad about or whatever it might be. Or it's like the juicy thought of like, oh, I've, I'm finally figuring out the way I'm going to tell that person this one thing so I can have the best outcome possible. And you can like ruminate into that. And so when those arise for me, 
because they'll feel their the, your 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 personal brain knows exactly what your trigger will be, you know, and it can so it can paint it in just the perfect way to get you. I'll tell myself if this is really important, I'll remember it when I'm not meditating, and then I just let it go, because then I think. If it's not important, which is probably not, I won't remember it and that'll be okay. But I totally trust that I will if it's actually important. And do you usually remember? Sometimes, if it's important. Right. Okay, got it. Interesting. I, I, I definitely have that anxiety as well. I'll get those feelings, whether it be meditation or sometimes when I'm doing cardio. Mm-hmm. I'm about to do a sprint. I'm high intensity interval. And I'm like, no. I just remembered I got to get on the phone and make that note or whatever. And it kind Uh of disrupts the whole uh, process. And, you know, it's the same with the meditation. You hear sounds because, you you know, look at where we live today. It's very hard for us to get a completely silent surrounding. And then we hear sounds and we'll use that as an excuse or justification that it's time to get out of this or lose Mm -hmm. that thought where you just got to, like you said, you keep bringing yourself back in to your breath or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. There's a phrase, what you resist persists. And so it's like, perhaps let's say you're trying to sit in meditation and somebody starts to weed whack or mow the lawn. And then you're like, Oh, they're mowing the lawn. I can't focus now. And you have this energy going towards, I wish they weren't mowing the lawn. Then that heightens it. And then it gets stronger and builds or it's like oh somebody's mowing the lawn right right now and there it's a neutral response then gradually that fate that sound will stay there but you will no longer even notice it mm. it just sh- totally shifts to the background yeah and isn't even a part of your experience consciously yeah yeah I did mention this on your podcast where I was doing one of your classes you weren't teaching it when of your instructors were maybe it was Celeste Mm -hmm. and I remember it was early in the morning and yeah it was that 6am class and the dumpsters yeah the glass in the alley yeah you could hear the dumpster truck out there and uh, it was a profound moment for me because she said listen to it invite that thought in it's Mm -hmm. okay don't try to get rid of it don't try to you know resist it because the practice too is when we don't live in sterile environments we don't live as humans in an environment where everything is controlled and silent around us unless we're having these moments in nature like we talked about before but otherwise our daily life is full of distractions and noises and things that might unsettle us so the practice is how can those things exist and not affect me And that's what you're learning when you're sitting in meditation or doing perhaps yoga or your workout and things are coming through that could distract you. And then you learn that they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I really like about your yoga teaching is that you can go to certain yoga studios or teachers and you think it's just going, you're going there to increase your flexibility and Mm -hmm. your mobility. And that's pretty much it. And that's pretty much all you're taught. But like you said, you're a little bit more of a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, you're providing something much more transformative than just flexibility. What is it that you are targeting, all-encompassing, when people come to your classes? Hmm. That's a great question. For me, I want my students to have a direct experience of their soul. That's my goal with yoga, which or a direct experience, an embodied experience of their most essential, truest state of being. And we use our body as a gateway to get there. One, as a gateway to get the mind present, right? Usually the mind is in the past or the future, 
one way or the other. It's like a time traveler. It's usually not just right here with what's occurring. And so our body is here in the present moment. The body lives in the present moment. So linking your mind to your body and then to your breath, which is also in the present moment, but something that's either unconscious and you're breathing and not thinking about it, which is fine, or can become a conscious tool and you begin to consciously breathe. And so now I'm in the present moment because I'm focusing on my breath. And then creating through those two gateways of body and breath awareness linked to the mind, then you're starting to perceive even subtler and subtler sensations in your own body. Like, oh, and now I can feel like tingling or streaming or pulsing in my body when I stretch this certain way. So then you're like fine tuning your sense of, it's like a refinement of what I can notice even in the present moment. And then I'm feeling emotions too, and I'm witnessing the emotions as they arise. And then that's, I'm noticing happens in the present moments. And so all those gateways into the present moments, which then leads to a feeling of quiet and stillness. And then hopefully it's all wrapped around this feeling of self-acceptance, which is a quality that you have to cultivate because we often don't start with a feeling of unconditional self-acceptance. So learning that, how do we accept ourselves and all that is happening around us unconditionally? And then moving into these deeper and deeper states of consciousness, like literally shifting your brain waves slower and slower from beta, our waking consciousness state, towards alpha and theta, the slower, like almost like dreamlike states, which you can get in in something like Shavasana, the corpse pose at the end, or practice like yoga nidra or meditation. So, so creating safety around that for the students to really let go and drop in. And then in those spaces, that's when the soul is there. That's when you can, it's an embodied experience because things have gotten so still and so quiet that you're feeling it. You're feeling peaceful. For me, peace is one of, it's like the the feeling state that I'm going for, even greater than like love, let's say, is I want to feel peaceful. And then in that too, bliss is actually peace. They're kind of really interconnected. For me, bliss isn't like this ecstatic state. It's a very neutral state. It's a very calm state. And that's how I want to live. And that's what the fields that I'm trying to create for my students to access to. Okay. Now, so... You know, when I look at you, I just see a positive vibe. You seem to be very positive. You seem very calm. You seem very central. Mm -hmm. That's the best way for me to describe it. Would you say that is you? You know, you are very calm. You are very relaxed. It's not. I'm not faking it. Yeah. I'm not faking it. Okay. Because (laughs) you're just very, you're very aware because like, I always think, okay, I just got to acknowledge, I got to remember, you know, got to be, got to appreciate, got to be present because, you know, it's very easy for us to take everything for granted and we go into this subconscious automatic mode of anxiety, stress, mm-hmm. on edge, always in a rush. You seem very chilled out like that. I would say that like centeredness, groundedness, self-awareness are all muscles that you're building. And so these are just the muscles, like internal muscles that I've been building through my practices for the past 25 years, while you've been building your physical muscles. You know, I look at you and you're like, wow, he's really strong and he's really fit and he's super healthy. And mine's just more the muscles that I've been building are inside, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And what I really like is that you're very 
instinctive and, and intuitive as well. Like you said, I, I, maybe I'm looking at something from a scientific approach or I'm quantifying something on a device mm-hmm. uh, where you're going by feeling. And I like that because a friend of mine that I was speaking to last week, he had this Viome test, which is a gut microbiome test, and it tells you what you should be eating and how much. And uh, he w- went from more of uh, you know a meat carnivore sort of style diet, I'd mm-hmm. say, uh, towards more of a plant-based diet and based on what he was advised, but he didn't feel good. Hmm. Didn't feel good whatsoever. You know, everyone's different in that regards. And as soon as he started eating a little bit more um, protein and poultry, et cetera, he felt fine again. The inflammation was gone from his body, da, 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 da. So you can't always quantify it. You have to take everything with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I look at it like, or I feel the body doesn't lie. My body's not lying to me. Right. And my body is this super intelligent, highly organized organism that's functioning. All these things are happening. I'm not even consciously aware of. And so over my yoga practice, through the years of my yoga practice, I've developed a loving, trusting relationship with my body consciously. Like I trust you. I love you, body. I believe in you, those kinds of things. And my body and I are in communication. And so I'm listening to what the signals for my body are. And that's that subtler and subtler layer of perception that I was describing before. If I can begin to perceive that, maybe it's just like, a heaviness in my chest that's telling me something or like a tingling in my belly or like a flood of prana energy through my body or asking my body even to like regards to food or habits or behaviors like does my body want this right now and I'll get a yes or a no and like inside I'll I'll hear that answer I'll know that answer too yeah got it okay so when you're working so so I I want want to talk about people from an athletic background here as well mm-hmm. that are putting their bodies not only their minds but their bodies under a lot of stress so you know people a lot of my demographic they're weight training four five days a week performing some type of cardio seven days a week possibly and you know we're having that cortisol response uh, which that is that hormetic response which is good but when it becomes systemic as i mentioned before that's when it's bad Like, what are the things that you suggest specifically to the alpha male that -hmm. is listening to this in regards to yoga? Is this something that is going to cause another? Because they they would consider this another workout. And to begin with, it is. (laughs) I I can attest to that. Yoga, asana, posture practice can be incredibly physically challenging for sure. So what would people do then if they weren't wanted to incorporate this? into their current training schedules, would they replace one of their workouts or cardio sessions with this? Or is this something that they can incorporate as well to help them recover, obviously improve their mobility, Mm -hmm. but to help with that, like that, bring back that hormetic response. And if you're looking at everything from a more open, calmer sort of uh, observation, you know, the, the, the studies have actually proven as well. I know we're just talking uh, mm-hmm. instinctive, but studies have proven that it, by bringing your heart rate down through breath and thought, you can actually persist through certain barriers, uh, lactate thresholds, VO2 maxes with that involved. So, you know, how could somebody put this into their schedule? Well, like I described with myself, when I found yoga, I only did a few minutes. It was like 15 or 20 minutes that I put into my daily life to create a habit and have my body 
begin to have yoga begin to work on my body, let's say. And it's helpful to remember that there's different styles of yoga besides just the posture practice too, which is called Hatha yoga. Ha means sun and Tha means moon. And so the idea of Hatha yoga, which is the physical postures are mostly contained in that, is that we're wanting to bring into balance your yin, yang, masculine, feminine, sun, moon energies internally. And you're seeking that, that, that sense of equanimity. And so that's a style of yoga. And then yoga is also just breath work too. So it could be these pranayama practices that you're doing, or it could be just a type of meditation, or it could be other mental disciplines too. But if we're speaking about like just the physical, I might suggest to somebody who's uh, really physically active that they could benefit from a yin practice. And yin is like yin yang. So it's the feminine, cooling, soft, passive, nurturing energy. And it would be a yoga class where you're holding the poses like three to five minutes and you're not using your muscles, you're targeting the connective tissue. And then that will help increase one, your flexibility and joint health. But I take it also as micro meditation moments and like my class yesterday that I taught, I reminded the students of this. It's like you get your body into the pose. Let's say it's butterfly, right? Where you're the soles of your feet are together and you're folding forward. In yin too, you're often using props to support the body. Let's say your knees aren't to the ground. So you put blocks or cushions under the knees and maybe a block under your head if your head's not coming to the ground. So then when your muscles are supported, they're not using muscle strength to hold them in space. So then the muscles can relax even more. So you sort yourself out and get into the pose. And then it's like, now for these next three minutes, I'm going to take it as a moment to meditate. So I'm just going to follow my breath in and out the whole entire time, which is a big constant practice too. I think of the meditation as like a muscle also that you have to build. And for most of it's quite small and atrophied. So you start with like, I'm trying to follow my breath in and out. It's like in, out, and then you're already off onto another thought. You catch yourself in that thought and you're like, oh, I'm in the thought. Go back to the breath. And so you're constantly coming back to this point of awareness, whatever it might be that you've chosen. The, the key to meditation, too, is concentration. So concentration is the first element, the ability to focus. And then that leads into the state of meditation. So you choose on what you're focusing on. The breath is just a really simple one. And then you've got that. So not only are you stretching in the butterfly pose, but you're also meditating for these few moments too, to the best of your ability and building that internal strength. Right, got it. Yeah, the, my distracting thought usually is, I'm looking so silly in this class. <laughs> my hamstrings tightening up. I'm cramping. Uh -huh. and I'm just dripping with sweat. So all of that, you would notice. It'd be like, I feel silly right now. Isn't that interesting? I feel silly right now. Wow, feel all that sensation in my hamstring. The energies, there's so much prana right there. And so you're witnessing it. Think of yourself, yogi, as scientific observer. So you're not labeling anything as good or bad or going for a particular result. You're simply witnessing what is with, huh, hmm, oh, that's happening. Okay. We're totally unattached to what it is. Yeah, easier said than done. Easier said than done. It's true. And it's helpful to remember that, that all of these things are practices and abilities that you build through repetition. Yeah, for sure. And at first they're really hard. So it's the same thing really that you're doing outside, you know, with your muscles and trying to run further or, you know, longer or 
get stronger, all those kinds of things that you know, well, I have to start, here's my program. I'm not going to start lifting, I don't know, a thousand pounds. I have to start at 50 pounds. And you know that, that you're eventually going to get there. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, isn't it, when you get so many people say that um, they're very intimidated to go to the gym. You know, especially when you see, you know, an alpha male in there and everyone's like staring in a mirror and, you know, people think of it being uh, one huge vanity social club. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, that's what they think. <laughs> but it, funny, I actually did a video on this the other day where a lot of the people actually look in the mirror to check their form. We're not there really actually looking to see what we look like. It's just check your form. Make yeah. sure, and to help with that mind-muscle connection. But I get the same feeling as well when I, I i'm not so bad now but i used to be and i know going back in usually if i've taken time off you feel so self-conscious going into a studio going into a yoga because here you are where you're used to being in control mm -hmm. and now you cannot help but look at other people in in the class and judge yourself and yeah. compare yourself it is a scary thing it is a scary thing and there's this i hear people say this all the time I want I want to do yoga, but I'm not flexible. So then I'm not going to do it, which is like saying, I'm really hungry, but I'm not going to eat. It's like, well, you're not, you, you're not starting yoga thinking that you are flexible. Like you have to be flexible to begin. So that's a weird misconception is I can't do it because I'm not flexible already. And the, I totally get it. And so f I created a book that's a home practice. So like I had that book, Richard Hittleman's 28 Day Exercise Plan that I started with. Um, from the very beginning, I created a modern version of that book that's an in-home practice that leads you through a vinyasa sequence slowly building over 27 days. And it's, again, a 15 to 20 minute home practice. And then there's 28 videos that go along with it that are companion pieces for people exactly like that that feel quite intimidated to go into a studio. Okay, so this is an, an online book. It's an it? actual physical book. Because, yeah, yeah, you had the launch, was it last year or a year? Mm -hmm. not, it came out 2007, summer of 2007, so just over two years ago. But the book is a book. Um, and 2017. It's 2017, yes, thank you. It's a spiral-bound book that's large format, so it's designed that you can lay it open on the ground next to you and it'll stay open. And then it's got pictures and pretty simple, basic instructions. I thought to myself, like, how what's the least amount of language I can use to safely describe getting into this pose? Because I wanted it to feel really accessible. Because yoga can sometimes be like, I can't, I'm, that's like, I'm getting so, that's like an overload of information of the things that you're supposed to be doing in your body. And then you kind of give up. So it's simple, concise instructions that slowly build. And it's like, do this pose. Now do this pose. Now do this pose. Now put all those poses together. Okay, you're done. It's like that. And then at the end of each day, there's a thought for the day that talks about some aspect of yoga. So then you're learning the hows and the whys and the whats that's going on. And, you know, things that you, if you walk into a studio, your teacher just might say, assuming that you know what the Sanskrit term means. It's kind of broken down in this book. So there's the book, that's the 27 days. And then there's the online course that's in a bonus 28 days. The eighth video is a guided yoga nidra, like a guided meditation experience. Okay, so people can actually use both at the same time. Or it's consecutively or back and forth. Yeah. The book is designed to do consecutively. And then the videos are a companion piece. When I was starting the project, I thought, 
to myself, oh, I'll make videos of each day. And then when I went to go do that, I was like, oh, that doesn't translate. Like the word, written word, timing wise, doesn't translate to a video live and in person. So that's why I did it like that. To the, so the videos are what we did throughout the series in the book, but maybe done in a slightly different way. Got it. Okay. All right. And what is the book called? It's called Vinyasa Yoga Made Simple, 27 Days of Self-Discovery. Right. Okay. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Yeah. And we'll also put the link to your course yeah. in the show notes as well. Yeah. I remember Sunshine went to, Sybil went to the, the launch of that mm-hmm. at your yoga studio uh, then I think I was out of town. Um, so that's cool because I'm going to follow that for sure. <laughs> I, you know, w- one of the problems that I find is, yes, I do like to go out and do the yoga, but sometimes it's like just inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And with these practices, I'm assuming you don't have to go the full hour. It could be like 15 minutes. Yeah, all of them are 15 to 20 minutes. Perfect. Everything in the book is that, and the videos are also that. So that any time throughout your day, the hope is, I've got 15 minutes okay. where I can get on the ground and do this wherever I am. A couple times last year, I led um, like challenges with it. And so we all, people got the book, and then we all started at the same time and sort of supported each other. And then I did the practice every day too, which was really fun. I'll probably do that again in the new year. Okay. All right. Well, everybody that's listening to this, please leave a comment below and let me know if you want to do that challenge with us. Yeah, we could do it together. We'll oh my gosh. Yeah, That'd be so sure. fun. I need that accountability. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that need that accountability as well. So this is something because now it's not overwhelming. It's an hour. It could be incorporated every single day to people's workout plans. Yeah. And the hope too, like the title says, 27 Days to Self-Discovery is that you're getting these other psychological aspects built into it too, where it's like, yes, I'm moving my body in these yoga poses, but this is how it's working on me internally. And I'm witnessing these changes too. And I want that to be inspiring to people. Yeah, I'm sure it will be because what I, you know, th- th- there's no doubt about it. As we rush through this life, we're not as present, we're not as centered as we possibly could be, and time just goes so quick. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep saying, "Wow, it's the end of 2019 or 20 already. Where did that year go?" Mm-hmm. And we just gotta slow this down and enjoy not only just being in the presence, but just being internally present it's a weird paradox or it's a weird false truth where we feel like there's not enough time so i need to rush right and then that creates the feeling of time moving really quickly and there's not enough time whereas when you think or feel like i'm going to slow down and just do this one thing time slows down yeah time actually goes slower yeah there's no doubt about it and it's longer and you have more time yeah which feels like it wouldn't it would be the opposite yeah because like now you, for instance, you you focus on your sleep, your sleep quality. So you may be having more sleep than you once did because you'd wake up after four hours and go, I got to get this done. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're distracted. You're on your phone while you're eating because you're thinking that's efficient. Mm-hmm. But then that time goes as well. And where did it go? You weren't even with it. It's just like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, 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 I've used to fall for that. I'm still pulling myself in. But I find that obviously the longer that I'm getting in the tooth, the more that I'm becoming aware of that. And I feel so much better of it. 
And there's so many weird things that people say, God, you're getting a little bit woo-woo, a bit hippie on me now, Chris. Um, (laughs) Do it, get hippie. Yeah, I get hippie on this. Uh, But by focusing on slowing these things down, being more present, focusing on my breath, doing various types of hormetic stresses, hot and cold therapy, uh, you know, started with the flotation as well, Mm -hmm. uh, and just being attuned to my senses. Not only am I feeling that within my breath, slowing things down, but I find physical responders, like I don't have as much joint pain, connective tissue pain. Amazing. Amazing, yeah. And they're all related. Yeah. They're all related. The body and mind are so, I mean, they are, they're in, they're like husband, wife, like they are in bed together. They do affect each other. They are the same thing almost in a lot of ways. And so when you start to slow your mind down and your body becomes relaxed or your mind becomes relaxed, so does your body. Or when you relax your body, then also your mind relaxes too. And so it makes perfect sense that the more present that you're getting and the more you're consciously breathing, then your body starts to feel better. It works like that. Yeah. It's weird though, isn't it? Because we think, well, if it's free and it's low hanging fruits, it can't can't work. (laughs) We have to pay for something like that. It must be a biohack. The Buddha became enlightened by just focusing on his breath. So that's what we got to do because we subconsciously do it. And it's, it's funny when you mentioned about rushing to try to get somewhere faster, if we slowed things down a little bit. The reason why I say that is because when I was doing this pool training in Malibu last week, I had to get across the width of the pool underneath with dumbbells, pulling myself across hand by hand with dumbbells, just letting the legs drag. And I got to the other end, come up gasping for air, get back to the other end, come up gasping for air. And then Lid, who was teaching me, said, "I now I want you to go there and back. And I said, that that's impossible. How can I do that? I think I may have told you this. No, I haven't no, heard this. No, I didn't. And I said, there's no way I can do that. So I tried it. I failed. I only got to one end. He said, okay, now let's just slow things down. Deep breaths. Mm-hmm. Took deep breaths. And he said, I don't want you to focus on where you've got to go, such as you've got to get there and back. I just want you to focus on one dumbbell over the other and however far you get is however far you get it doesn't matter just focus on taking your time and taking the amount of time needed to get as far as you can so I did that I got there and I got back and I wasn't even gasping for air when I came up and it's like wow it was that profound within two minutes Yes. Two minutes of just changing the thought and the breath mm-hmm. and that outcome that you were expecting mm-hmm. totally changed the paradigm. Yeah. And the mindset, too, in that it sounds like there was this feeling of I have to get there versus I'm just right here. I'm just right here. I'm just right here. I'm just right here. Yeah. It's funny how we do that with every day, you know, that we wake up. Wow. I'm 45 years old already. I haven't reached any of the goals that I needed to. I hope you don't actually feel that way. No, but uh, uh, <laughs> you every every now and again you do. You yeah, know, you can't help yourself, you know, because we set milestones, and sometimes those milestones are way too and uh, too far in the distance for us to even be present and think about now, because we don't want to get to like 85, 95 and go, wow, I focused on the future instead of being in the present. Yeah, or you kind of blow through milestones too. 
Like I'm sure you've accomplished so many milestones you've set for yourself, but have you really taken the moment to be like, I did that. No. I accomplished that. That happens. I did do it. Every now and again, I'll get that when I go back to Wales. When mm -hmm. I go back to Wales and, you know, you go to the little place where you come from, you will recognize that a little bit more. But then you come back yeah. you're straight back into the, your goal setting. It's output, output, output. Yes, you know, it's, so. it's the inner journey. The thing with Laird, too, that it sounded like he was teaching you is the yogis feel like with the breath, you're breathing all the time, right? Breath is coming in and out. We're not thinking about it and it's happening. And then when you switch to breathing consciously, for the yogis, prana, life force energy, is in everything. It's the, it's the animating force, the unseen animating force of all of existence. And when you shift your mind into breathing consciously, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out, I'm taking deep breaths, that's supercharging that breath with prana, where when you're unconsciously breathing, prana's there, but when it's a conscious breath, a lot of prana is there. So in those moments of deep breath, before you went underwater, it was like you were like putting like extra store in your battery too. more and more and more prana got stored in your central nervous system so that it could sustain you through that practice, too. Yeah, it, it was it was mind blowing. And, I, you know, I keep bringing Laird up in uh, various conversations and will continue to do so because I see that there's just a lot of opportunity there that I definitely need to practice. Yeah, know. he's a hero in lots of ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm, a legend. Yeah, very enthusiastic, like a 15-year-old. <laughs> I like that. Well, thank you ever so much for joining me, Marissa. Really appreciate this conversation. You're welcome. And now I'm going to start the 27-day yeah, practice. Yeah, I'll give you a book. And uh, you don't have to give me a book. I'm absolutely fine getting a book. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll but sign I'll, it for you. How's that? That's great. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, and I'll put the link to everything that we spoke about today. I will be posting on my socials, on my Insta stories, with this 27-day practice. Okay, if anyone wants to join at any time, you can. I'll start it again. I don't care. So I'm going to use this as my form of accountability by putting my sincerity on the line right now. Exciting. Exciting. All right. Well, thank you very yes. much. Thank Have you yourself. so much for having me. I really appreciate this a lot. Me too. Have yourself a great day. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much for joining me. This is the Knowledge and Mileage podcast, and we is out. <laughs>